This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. God, I assume Tom. This afternoon, I have the tremendous pleasure of speaking with Valerie Jane Parker, who's starring in The Wrong Turn. Uh, it's a reboot com- coming out and is also talking about The Voices, which is on yes. demand April 2nd. How you doing, Valerie? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to talk to you. I mean, you have an interesting story, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, born on a mission field in Zimbabwe and all sorts of other stuff going on and, you know, Nashville and, you know, so I just picture you playing guitar and, uh, and singing country songs on mission trips. I mean, right? Isn't that what we all do in Nashville? Just uh, yeah, <laughs> sit around with every time, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I was born on the, the mission field in Zimbabwe, in Zimbabwe Africa. Uh, my parents had a Bible college there, but they were both from Tennessee originally. So they ended up moving back to Nashville when I was uh, just a toddler. So this is perfect timing, talking to you just before Good Friday during Holy Week as we're getting ready for Easter. That's correct. And what, you know, what better time for a horror movie to come out than Easter weekend? Yeah. Am I right? You know, well, <laughs> if you watched The Passion of the Christ and saw the uh, the light beating that Jesus took in the movie in comparison to what he really experienced in uh, in Jerusalem, uh, yeah, no, the, the horrors of religion actually play into perfect timing for the horrors of a movie. Right. Yeah, I was like, you know, if if the Savior coming back from the dead isn't scary enough for you, hey, guess what? This weekend on Good Friday, you can watch people want to be my baby and possess my unborn child. Well, we did see that in Rosemary's Baby at one point in time, which is one of the scariest movies ever made, and we never even saw the child. That's true. Dude, Rosemary's Baby still messes me up. That's that's an intense film. Oh, yeah, that and The Exorcist. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those two totally, like, leave me a wreck. Oh, absolutely. So, fill me in what's going on. I mean, you know, reboots, remakes, horror movies, everything else that's going on. This has got to be thrilling for your preacher dad. <laughs> he loves it. He's here for it. <laughs> oh, I'm lucky. I've got super supportive parents. Um and that, and I just don't think that I could shock them anymore with the amount of weirdness that I just pick it on. So they, they love it. They're, they're all about it. Um, yeah, reboot, horror movies, uh, it's, it's all happening. I just really want, you know, we came out of 2020 in that scary time and hopefully we're reaching, hopefully we're reaching the end of things with the pandemic. And so I just really want to scare you this year in 2021. As if that uh, wasn't scary enough. Yeah, I just wanna, I wanna get in on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, mo- well, I, the funny thing was, like, I got to talk to Tom Ellis, who plays Lucifer, mm-hmm. who's, also, who's the son of a Baptist minister, and I, I asked him, I said, please tell me before your dad retired, he let you give the homily in church, because there would be nothing funnier than the guy playing the devil. <laughs> giving the homily and he's like unfortunately he retired before he got the role of lucifer oh yeah i know but you being the daughter of a pastor do oh yeah you get to give homilies as well even after people have seen you in these horror films either be possessed or you know various demonic aspects of it and how quickly do you run out run back to church after everything that goes on <laughs> well not only 
only that, the role that I was best known for before all this uh, was a character named Judy on Greenleaf, and that show is about church, and I play basically the bad guy on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all forms of evil. Uh, but yes, they do actually still let me speak in church. I have given the homily, and um, I, I run back as, as often as my schedule allows me. Um, growing up there, it's like a family, so it's kind of like a family reunion. Whenever I walk in, it's a little intimidating, and it's extra funny to hear all the people in the congregation be like, oh my God, baby, we loved you in that you were so mean, or you were so scary, but uh, everybody's here for it. There, it's, it's a good time. Okay. <laughs> You know, so that, see, because there are two types of PKs that we all know about. Mm-hmm. You know, which one do you think I am? Uh, well, the meme that I saw was Captain America, and the other one was Deadpool. Um, see, your your career would indicate the Deadpool side, but <laughs> I've only known you for about five minutes, so I can't really say. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not really a bad guy. Just play one on TV. <laughs> You get all your sinful ways out of the way on camera. Exactly. That way you can go seek redemption in private. Right. I let everybody witness them, and then I'm secretly good. <laughs> <laughs> We're ruining the image right now. Right. I was about to say, that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Till those photos surface later. <laughs> well, let's hope. God forbid. <laughs> So with the voices, you're, you're a woman that discovers, uh, your unborn, born child has become a vessel for a second chance soul stuck in limbo. Yes. You know, just an average Tuesday. Right. So essentially kind of like the child is stuck in purgatory about to be born. Uh, well, so Lily goes through an experience early in her life, uh, Lily's the name of my character. And it causes her to lose her parents and lose her sight. But during that experience, she also then makes a connection with the other side. Um, and so when she gets pregnant, basically she does have to choose the soul of her baby before the first heartbeat. Um, and all these children, these undead, ch- these undead children keep visiting me, trying to talk to me, trying to win me over to be their spirit, to bring back their spirit. But if she doesn't choose before the first heartbeat, then the other world chooses for her, which is basically implied that she, that nothing good will come of it, that she'll basically have like a, an antichrist. So either she gets to choose the souls of one of these dead children, or she gets to carry something pure evil. Um, that's, that's a tough call. <laughs> that does sound like Tuesday in LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Minus the traffic. Yeah. Minus the traffic, yeah. You know, because that's only a one-way tunnel at that point. Oh, oh come on. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it was right there. You had to go for it. It's, it's one of those things, you know. But <laughs> unfortunately, you have to choose wisely. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending who you're talking to, you have to choose wisely with that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, these are just interesting times for horror movies to be coming out. It's, uh, it's always fun to see what, what it is, but, um, you know, what, what can you do? Like, how do you go from missionary work to horror movies? This is, this really intrigues me. Um, 
Well, I, I grew up in a theater family. Um, I grew up doing a lot of theater. And so, although it was mostly Shakespeare and classics, things like that. But I've just always loved telling people stories. Um, I love acting. And as I got a little bit older, I realized that I was really drawn to a film because the great thing with horror movies, with any movie, is that unlike a show on stage, uh, you can watch them over and over again. They live forever. I mean, we were just talking about Rosemary's Baby. That was filmed decades ago, and it still holds up. And it's just so fun to be a part of telling um, a story that can last for, for a long time. Now, the actual transition into horror, that was just because I liked it. It's fun. Um, doing the jumpy stuff. It's fun being covered in gore and doing the, the scream queen bits. I'm a bit of a tomboy, so I like having to run and scream and get covered in goo and fake blood. I actually sent my sister um, a dead selfie from the wrong turn set, and she was like, that was the most disgusting thing I have ever seen. Never send me that again. <laughs> so I was like, no, it's funny. It's fun. Um, so you're the you older know, sister, apparently. <laughs> I'm the younger sister. Uh, she was horrified. <laughs> okay, because usually it's the older ones torturing the younger ones, but apparently uh, you flipped it. Yeah, yeah, had to had to be the weirdo in the family. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- here's the fun part. Since again, uh, your father your father is a pastor. Uh, let's say you get to do something like you know there was a horror movie that came out not too long ago called The Nun. So it uh, mm-hmm. you know and. Poor Catholics, they always get picked on with with the horror movies the most, but they also have the exorcist priest, so it kind of makes sense that they would. Um, you know, growing up within the church, and then there's, you know, a religious horror movie at some point. Do you ever sit there and go, this is theologically inaccurate. This would never fly, you know, because of X, Y, Z. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but I don't know. I, I think sometimes that's part of the fun. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Do you pick them apart like that? A, well, I have a master's degree in theology, so yeah, I do. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. It, so uh, why are you interviewing me instead of being a priest somewhere? Oh, God, no. I don't want that headache. I have to listen to people's confessions. I would, be, right. I would be the worst priest or minister ever because people come to you with their confessions. And by the second time, they or by the third time, let's be honest, because, you know, you have to have patience uh, as, a, as a clergyman. They come mm-hmm. back with the same sin and complaining about it and trying to repent for it. I'd be like, how many times have we got to go through this already? Either you, you're really repentant and you're done with it, or you're not going to get over this. Make up your mind. Which is it? So, like, yeah. I would be the most consoling priest. You know who would be a great priest? A goldfish. Because they just have such a – it's all short-term memory. They'd never remember. Right. <laughs> and then they forgot that you went through it, and then they'll have to hear your confession over and over again. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I'm glad you're fixing your life, even though this yeah. is the ninth time you've came with came to me with this issue. Yeah, I'll say four Hail Marys and drop a little bit of food in the bowl. Thank right. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be awful. As we get into the sacrilege and your father goes, this theologian's actually laughing at this stuff. What is wrong with him? If you can't laugh at it, then... <laughs> Jesus had a sense of humor, too. Let's be honest. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, that, that's why I always laugh. Like, when, I, when, I, when I was getting my master's degree and they're like, oh, there are the, the sects of Christianity in Europe, you know, Ulrich Zwingli and everything. They took the organs out of the church. Music was banned. Singing was banned. Dancing is banned. And I'm like, 
Jesus' first miracle was turning water to wine at a wedding. Yeah. And I don't you know if you've coffee. ever been to a Middle Eastern wedding. There's a lot of drinking and dancing going on. Oh, oh. yeah. They left for a whole week. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know where you guys came up with that notion of no music and no dancing. Oh, man. I mean, you know God has a sense of humor. Just look at nature, for goodness sake. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, makes a minister's daughter play, uh, play these possessed characters. And then the son of a preacher played the, the devil. So. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to get you and Tom Ellis in a movie together. Oh yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. That you guys just have to now play the preacher and, uh, and the, uh, what do you, what do Protestants call him? The, uh, the first lady of the parish. Is that what you guys call him? Yeah. I could, yeah. Yes. It is. See, there you go. The pastor and the first lady. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Let's do it. Right. And then the twist is you guys are the ones embezzling the money. And then you have to see, you know, we'll make it a total faith-based film of embezzlement and everything else. You know, dark comedy. Yeah, of course. People love that. <laughs> a tale of redemption, but not. Right. At some point, <laughs> you know. There's only redemption yeah. when you get caught. <laughs> oh, isn't that the American way? Yeah. <laughs> it has to be that way. There's no other way. You know, it's uh, the Jim Baker effect. Oh, God. God teasing, teasing. Yeah. Oh, man. We got, again, God has to have a sense of humor because he created humanity. No kidding. Yeah. And he hasn't, you know, wiped us out all the way yet. So yeah, he's still putting yeah. up with us. You know, uh, banishment from a garden, uh, big flood, that sort of thing. But other than that, you know, we, we've hung around for a while. We'll see what happens in the next 20 years, though. And a pandemic. You left that out. Well, we've had quite a few of those over, over the time being, but it sure. helps us refocus. Yes, it actually does. Pandemic was a nice quiet space. Really it was. You know, well, are you in Tennessee primarily or are you around Southern California enforcing yourself uh, on the LA business? Right now I am still in Tennessee. I go back and forth, um, but when the pandemic hit, I was actually in the process of moving out to LA permanently and ended up pausing out here. And I'm very, very grateful that I did just because it was a nicer place to be quarantined. Right. In my bubble, but close to family and friends, you know. Right. And then if you have a minimum of an acre of land, you get to sit there and actually enjoy your patio without people yelling yep. at you to put your mask on. Yep, that is correct. And that's exactly what happened. I grew the biggest garden, so many tomatoes. <laughs> See? You know, you got your green thumb now. No. Uh, maybe we can work that into the film, too. There you go. You know. <laughs> It was, uh, actually that, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Last Supper, but that was one of the things where these, uh, um, political college students, it was a Cameron Diaz movie and, uh, people that disagreed with them politically, they'd invite them over to dinner, kill them and then bury them in the backyard and they planted a garden over them. Oh, kind of like, uh, that, I didn't see that movie, but Johnny Depp had a movie where he did that too, um, Secret Window or something like that. Oh, okay. He kills his wife and plants corn over her, and then the last scene of the film is him just eat chowing down on corn in the cob. Okay. Yeah, they do that with yeah. tomatoes in The Last Supper. That's why it was funny. That ah. you know, well, tomorrow, tomorrow's Thursday, so that would be The Last Supper. Yeah. See, we've tied it all back into our religious uh, upbringings and uh, and everything else that goes along with horror movies. We have. Slash, I feel like after this conversation, the police are going to come check my garden now with those movies coming out and what you just said. They're going to be like, hmm. Yeah. Why was she really planting tomatoes? Well, on the bright side, the movie's older than you, so when it came out, you weren't you weren't in existence yet. 
And then, That's true. you know, on top of that, you would have been like, you know, now watching it, it would, it would be like, oh, it's just, you know, someone watching an old movie now. Unless I was a ghost and came back. Right, like your character in the, in your film waiting. Yeah, for <laughs> I could be somebody's baby reborn. I could have been a tomato baby. You don't know. <laughs> tomato baby. Wow, that's a new sequel to the Killer Tomatoes franchise at this point. <laughs> I feel like somebody needs to be taking notes because you and I are coming up with some great new screenplays. Oh yeah, no, no, no. We're recording the conversation, and I like to oh, yeah. everything as long form. So someone's going to get a laugh. Someone's going to be horrified. And, you know, your father is going to sit there and go, thank God this guy's Greek Orthodox because I don't have to excommunicate him. We'll just send it to his Metropolitan and he'll do it for me. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah. See, we got everything covered. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so this, this movie over here we're, we're going through, um, when you see yourself portray these characters, you know, you go back, obviously there's the dailies. There's other aspects to it. Um, you know, you were there. Do you get jumpy at your own movies when you go back and watch um, them? Actually, yes. Um, because even though there's the daily, number one, when I'm, I'm acting, you almost, it's almost a different person than the actual person you are. There's a certain amount of disassociation that happens. So sometimes I'll watch back the dailies and be like, I did that. I would like, because you almost, you separate it, you block it out in a way you have to in order to just be honest in that moment. Um, and then there's so much that can happen in the editing room between what you saw and what you did on the day and what the final product looks like that it always takes a, a couple watches of something um, and gets me the first few times where I'm like, oh, I've forgotten. Oh, I've forgotten. <laughs> and then the intensity of the music and everything else that goes along with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes they'll reorder scenes, things like that. Like, you just don't ever know. I mean, the editor really is the third the third voice in the film. You know, it's what the actor brings to it. It's what the script already had. But editor gets final say. They, they can really change a project. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they... I want to... I wanted to make a... a or write a screenplay, at least, just and call the movie uh, We'll Fix It in Post. And it's the worst <laughs> shot movie ever made and somehow it wins an academy award because the editor fixed everything yeah and honestly that would probably be more accurate than people know like editors can work if you have a good editor they can work magic <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's got to be fun in and of itself though oh yeah yeah have you have you had that experience where you where you shot something and you're like i don't know how this is going to work and then all of a sudden you sit there and you're like oh my God, this actually really came out way better than we expected. And you don't have to mention the movie because, you know, we don't want that director or writer to be like, I can't believe she did that about my film. No, I definitely wouldn't mention the movie. Um, I have had the experience where this script going into it has a lot of holes or issues like that, and everyone is aware of it on set and not 100% sure how it's going to get fixed. Um, and they end up kind of reordering the scenes and recutting things in a way that the plot is actually rather different than what you had originally shot, but it works much better. Mm. Um, so that's, that's the experience I've had. Mm. And that's not common, but I, I have had that. Okay. Uh, when you film something like Voices, you know, uh, you know, especially with it being a horror movie, 
Um, you don't have, you know, six to eight months to make the movie. Obviously, they're, they're shorter filming schedules. When you're on a tighter, tighter shoot like that, does it feel more like filming a television series? Oh, um, no, only because with TV, you know, you're going the same set day after day and you're seeing the same people, but the schedule is very, not necessarily nine to five, but it is five days a week. Whereas when you're doing an intense film shoot, uh, I feel like the connections that you make are so much more, it's more like summer camp, like an extended summer camp. Uh, it's such an intense time. The hours may be longer. Um, you don't know anyone quite as well as you end up knowing people on the film set, but the bonding experience is still very, very strong because you're all in the trenches together trying to turn out this passion project, this thing of love, and you're only spending a month or six weeks together as opposed to on a TV set where you're going to be spending several months together and hopefully several years if the show goes on. Um, but it's still, it's still just as intense. You got to work with Leslie Easterbrook on this film, mm-hmm. uh, who I'm pretty sure you were never allowed to watch any of her movies growing up. Uh, <laughs> the Police Academy franchise. Uh, she's, you know, she's been primarily known for her comedic work. How funny is she when you stop rolling? Because you know we've known her throughout her career, or at least you know from my experiences in seeing her films that she was mostly a comedic actress, to now working with somebody that's known for that in a horror film? She, um, we actually don't have any scenes together. Uh, I'll preface it as that. I will say, so I don't know how funny she was when they weren't filming. I will say in real life, she's just about the sweetest human being you could ever meet. Everyone was like, I want her to be my grandmother and adopt me. Like, she was just kind and effervescent and so... Lovely. Just sweet as a button. Okay. Uh, since your character is pregnant in the movie and, uh, you know, waiting for the heartbeat, and there's always creepy children in horror films, how much has that put you off from wanting to have your own kids? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was the accident baby. Like, I was never supposed to happen, and my folks are very honest about that. So there's, like, a decade between me and my siblings, and they have tons of kids. Mm-hmm. I've got five nieces, two nephews, and I've already had a lot of creepy horror children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think I'm probably good with just, like, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure your dad is thrilled to hear. <laughs> You're thrilled with a dog. That's good enough. Yeah, yeah, it's good enough. We're, we're nobody. Nobody needs to see what's going to happen. <laughs> You're like, look, Dad, I, I've yeah. had six horror kids so far, and I've dealt with a bunch of horror children in movies. Uh, I, I can't take a third grade parent teacher conference. Yes, I know Lucifer keeps acting up and throwing, like, spitballs in class. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm good right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you for right now. You still, ha- you still have time. It's just <laughs> hilarious that, you know, you see people with all these, like, demonic children in, in movies, and then all of a sudden you're like, by the way, you want to have your own kids? Eh, probably not. <laughs> I wonder why that is. What could possibly be happening? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you had four to six weeks to put this film together. 
with that much limited time um, versus, you know, a bigger budget film, is it more exciting and exhilarating? Because not only, you know, you have to keep the anxiety up for the characters, but the the limited time shoot kind of adds to the anxiousness of the film and, and putting together a horror movie? It does. It absolutely does. It, it adds a pressure on, but in a really good way, actually. Um, it just, yeah, it amplifies energy. It's always electric because you know that you're in a crunch and that you need to get it, and it really bonds everyone, too. Yeah, because it, it doesn't seem like, you know, it would be that much fun to be pushed that that harder that quickly. Like if it was an action movie and it was shot in six weeks, I'd be like, that seems like a lot of injuries are going to happen in something like that. But right, you know, with with a horror movie, I think you can pull it off better, and it adds to the anxiety. Um, when you get to finally hear the score of the film, because you know you said you got jumpy with the the scenes that you either forgot about or you know didn't anticipate to be edited in such a way. How much does that add to to your experience in watching it back in comparison to filming? Oh, it adds a tremendous amount to it. And also, um, our director, Nathaniel Nguyen, did something really interesting in the film where uh, generally when somebody who's visually impaired, who's blind, watches a movie, um, they just have to pause the actual film itself multiple times to describe what's going on in the scene. Um so, literally, they have the score going, the characters are talking, and then it's just, boop, pause, so-and-so enters the room, da-da-da-da, and then the movie picks up. So, it's very disruptive. What he did was he actually built pauses into our score so that you never have that disruption. Um, the script itself is very visual so that there wouldn't have to be a lot of pauses. So, uh, the characters are using words to describe what's going on. Um a little bit more so than you might in regular dialogue, just so that a visually impaired person could watch it and be able to hear that without the extra narration. But at the times where you need that narration, they actually have it built into the score, which is very clever. That sounds fascinating. You know, I, I, I have to pick up on that the next go-around. Um, with something like this, have you watched the movie with a blind person or a blind audience to see what their reaction is in comparison to what traditionally is done with uh, films for the blind? I haven't yet. We were hoping to do um, we were hoping to do a screening with the School for the Blind in Atlanta, but because of COVID, I know that that got postponed. Um, but I actually, when I was preparing to play a blind person, one of my good friends, Bobby Holland, um, is blind, and he spent a lot of time with me one-on-one uh, working through that. So I'd love to watch it with Bobby and, and get his opinion because I think we could do that in a, in a COVID-friendly way. <laughs> so you can do, a, what's it called, one of those first watch reactions with him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I actually need to do that. That would, that would be great. Yeah. Whereas uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story of a situation with blind people. Uh, when I was in college, I was training judo. And our sensei was Team USA's Olympic head coach. And uh, he decided that it would be fun for us as an exercise to train with the Olympic blind team. Oh. And there's nothing more humbling than getting beaten up by a blind guy. Mm-hmm. With the lights on and having your full vision. Yeah. So, you know, uh, don't don't get beaten up by Bobby. Because that would be too <laughs> of an experience. But let me know how the uh, how the first watch goes, though. 
do my best yeah. to not let him beat me up. I, I make no guarantees, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, that, that's one big, big, and, uh, you know, these were all, uh, these were all, uh, Olympians and they were all blind. And, you know, one guy kept, kept throwing me around and I said, how did you keep catching me with that? He's like, oh, I felt the pressure of the mat uh-huh. change when you stepped. And I was like, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, now I, now I feel embarrassed that I'm relying on too many senses and still not winning. No, it was an interesting thing. Like when I started preparing for it, you really do learn to just listen and feel things so much more. I'm an avid hiker. And uh, once I got comfortable working with my blackout glasses and my cane around the house, I was like, you know what? There are these hiking trails I know I have memorized. I'm going to attempt this blind. And it was, it was very humbling. But it's interesting because you really do. You feel every bump in the ground differently. When people are walking by, you feel their vibration shaking the earth. So I could tell uh, the size of the person, what their stride was like, how fast they were going, that. I think that that was a man. Um, things like that. It's just, it's really, really interesting. So I would 100% believe that just from you stepping on the mat, he could, he could feel where you were. Um, it's, it's crazy what your other senses are capable of. And, you know, obviously, uh, well, I don't want to say obviously, but I assume that it gave you a greater appreciation of uh, having your sight once uh, the camera stopped rolling. You know, you would assume that, and it did, but what it really gave me a greater appreciation of was listening and feeling. Like, I just felt like, huh, my whole life I've been, um, I've taken for granted my sight, and I've been reliant upon that, but it taught me to listen and just feel the world around me so much more, and it made me realize that I was capable of that, and that was something I really appreciated. It made me a much better listener. I dig it. Yeah, it forced you to listen more. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. And then you get to torture your siblings more with it because now that you get to listen to them scream at you, stop sending me weirdo photos. Oh man, they they are not horror people either. My brother or my sister. No one, no one else in the family likes horror. Um, so it is actually torture for them, which is really fun for me. <laughs> You, or is it like you and your dad or you and your mom that are are the horror people? Like, how does that work? Uh, really just me. But dad dad will do it for me. Uh, my mom, unfortunately, has passed on now. Um, but, yeah. So so me and dad. Dad will watch it for me. My sister will watch it between eyes closed, between her fingers. Um, and my brother will probably never watch anything that I do. <laughs> <laughs> He looks at you and goes, yeah, that's the baby. Yeah. He's like, we're really proud of you, gal. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm assuming your brother's the eldest. Yes. Okay. So he's the one that had to set the bar for everything, and then you come along all those years later, and your parents are just basically like, look, we're tired. Uh, yeah. Try to take care of yourself. We're done. She can raise herself. She's got red hair. She'll be scrappy. <laughs> Are you the only ginger in the family? I am. I got all the oddball genes. Uh, the only one with blue eyes, the only one with red hair, pale skin. All the weird stuff came to me. Hmm. Well, you got all the recessive genes that make sure you don't need to be in the sun as much as everybody else. That's true, but that is because I am vampire. <laughs> Just exactly what every minister wants with their child. <laughs> exactly. No, the cool thing is you're having fun with all this stuff, and then 
U-Turn is going to be coming out as well. Um, what's the pressure like in a remake situation where, you know, people are already familiar with the original film and now you get to put your own take on it. And I think the one mistake that a lot of remakes and reboots do is reference the original too much, which kind of pulls people out of the movie and go, oh yeah, I remember the original one instead. Um, you know, is it added pressure to be a part of a reboot or does it feel kind of like a sequel building upon the original legacy? Well, this reboot was interesting because it is so, Mike was just so smart with the script. Number one, he did work with uh, one of the original screenwriters on the first wrong turn. So it does honor that. It does pay homage to it, but it is a really different story. He took a totally different take with it. Um, and it's clever and smart and unique on its own. So I think that fortunately he did the smart thing that it doesn't fall into the trap too much of referencing the other ones just enough because the audience wants some of those. We want some of those winks and nods towards the original. Um, but really he created his own thing, which that takes way more guts and brother to him. It was Mike Nelson. He's our director and it was a very, very creative take. Yeah, because that's something you got to worry about. Like, I remember when the RoboCop reboot came out, and, you know, they used the line, dead or alive, you're coming with me. And I said, okay, well, that just makes me want to go back and watch the 1987 RoboCop. Mm-hmm. The one I love, right. Right. You know, the one the one I grew up with, and, you know, the one I wasn't supposed to be allowed to watch, but, you know, hey, it was on HBO. Isn't that part of the fun? Well, you're not supposed to be able to watch that. It was that, what was that movie with, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford, Eyes Wide Shut? No, that's Nicole Kidman. Um, she had some, there's some movie that I watched of Michelle Pfeiffer's, What Lies Beneath? I don't know, I'm still scared of her. The point is I watched it when I was six and I wasn't allowed to, but it was on HBO. And I to this day am still afraid. Yeah, it's in Zimbabwe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's something I'm interested in. What's what's it like growing up as a missionary kid? Um growing up as a missionary kid, because we moved back when I was a toddler, I don't remember too much of it. Um so I will say it was cool. My brother and sister would agree. They actually they lived over in Africa way longer than I did and, and got the culture there. And they loved it too. Growing up as a pastor's kid, though, is a lot of pressure. It's eyes on you all the time. Um, and it's, yeah, it's not the most the most fun environment. Right, trying to figure out which kid is in this week's homily about, you know, raising your children. Oh, yeah, and everybody expects you to be such a little, they think you're going to be such a little brat. <laughs> well, again, there are so the two them. types. I do horror movies. <laughs> right. There are the two types of you. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, and it's always the the opposite ends of the extreme. It's never like somewhere in the middle, right? No, you're completely you're completely right. I think a lot of that. I think it depends on the child, but I think it depends on the experience at home. And I'm lucky that I at the end of the day, I have the coolest parents. They were so supportive of everything I wanted to do, um, and they've just been amazing influences in my life. Well, that's the important thing, especially, you know, it's not like the the dirty secret household where it's like, oh, this is what we expect from the minister. And then all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of bad stuff happens to the family. And then they're like, hmm, you know, what were we not seeing? That sort of thing. No, because it's always interesting. Like I had an uncle who was a deacon 
So it's always surprising when people like, you know, are surprised or pay attention to too much to what's going on with the uh, clergy's household. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, people, it, we're naturally curious as humans. Um, so you'd like to fault people for that if we're talking, but I think that we all do it in different outlets. Um, we just, we always wonder what's going on behind those closed doors and yeah. As, as your career expands and, and grows, you know, would you like to do like a rom-com at some point or is it just going, do you want to be like the next scream queen? <laughs> I always say that, uh, uh, sorry, I'm just laughing. Uh, the, the way you asked me if I wanted to do a rom-com at some point made me laugh. Um, I always say I like to do the opposite of whatever I did last, um, because I don't like being bored, so I would be happy continuing to play the villain and being a scream queen, but I do love doing comedy. Um, that's actually, I did a lot of, I've done a lot of that in my past, too, so we'll just see. I'm open to which to whichever way the wind blows. <laughs> that's a good attitude to have. Well, thank you. All right, so here here's the big question. All right, bring it on. All right. It, for our secular audience, uh-huh. it's Good Friday. The Voices is being released. Uh, why should secular people watch this movie on the night of the commemoration of the crucifixion of our Lord? Oh, that is a great question. Well, I think that they should watch it that night because. If you are secular, clearly you're not going to church. What else are you doing? You're sitting at home on your couch, and you just want me to scare the hell out of you. So go for it. You've already got your Easter basket, your candy. Like, dig in. (laughs) All right. And now what do you tell the people within the family and that are part of the flock to watch this movie, say, after Easter Sunday, because, you know, they have to witness the resurrection of the Lord? No, I say go for it on Good Friday, and that way you have two days to repent and then fill your heart up with all that Jesus you do. Like, feel good about it. <laughs> uh, Valerie, where can we find you on social media if we want to connect? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm on Instagram at Valerie Jane Parker. Uh, same with Facebook. I do not tweet. I have not been on Twitter for a while. It's just not, not my jam. <laughs> okay, so we can't find Valerie on Twitter to argue politics. But we can check out her blue eyes and green hair on on Instagram, at least. So that's a good thing. Yes, please. (laughs) Valerie Jane Parker, thank you so much for your time. Voices is out April 2nd, Good Friday, on the Gregorian calendar. Uh, If you want to be scared and there's nothing scarier than a minister's kid going bad, this is the flick to check out. Thank you. Thank you for making me laugh and taking the time to talk to me. Oh, absolutely. Stick around for a couple of minutes. I just want to ask you a couple of stuff uh, off the record. All right. He's going to ask me out, y'all. <laughs> you look too far <laughs> away for that. Dang it. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs>